Good morning, church. It's good to see each of you here. I want to encourage you this morning to uh, take your Bibles, and we're going to be looking at several different passages this morning. But if you want to begin, I encourage you to turn to Acts 10, and uh, I'm going to read the first verse there in just a moment. Today, we are beginning our sign-up for the week of prayer that we have planned for March 5th through March 12th. And if you're with us for the first time today, uh, that particular week we're going to start at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, March the 5th, and we're going to begin a period of unceasing and united prayers, a church where each person that signs up will take an hour and we'll be praying here in the auditorium on site for an hour. Um, you won't you, won't, you will have guidance if you sign up for one of those hours because we'll have a little prayer guide and we're going to have some areas set up here in the auditorium and you'll be able to move through those and over the course of the hour. And so you have some guidance and it'll go more quickly than you realize. Uh, in the lobby, uh, you can go out either door to my left or right and keep going around the corner and you'll find the lobby. There's a sign-up table and we're literally signing people up for all 169 hours of that prayer time. And so if you've never been a part of a 169-hour prayer meeting, this is your chance. And I want to encourage you today to check out that table. There'll be someone manning it uh, after the service. And so if you didn't get to look at it beforehand, I encourage you to go by. And we're going to do that for the next couple of Sundays. And so you'll have ample opportunity to sign up. More than one person can sign up for an hour, but we'd love it if at least one person would sign up for each hour. And, um, and in that way, we'll have an unbroken period of prayer together. There's some things that I believe that God wants to do when and only when we come together and lay our burdens and our concerns at his feet. And so I want to place a, a high value on this time that's coming for us as a church. And I hope that you're planning to be a part. We are in the midst of a series of studies in God's Word that we're calling Experiencing God Together. It is based on a very popular study course. Some of you have been through it once or twice, or like me, you've been through it several times and taught it. Uh, we are studying that on Sunday morning. We are studying it also on Sunday night. And if you've not been part of one of our Sunday night studies, I encourage you to come. Uh, we do have a book that you can purchase, and you can take the things we're studying on Sunday morning even more deeply. We've already heard some wonderful stories. We hope to share some of those before this season is out. But I encourage you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock and be a part of that. We're meeting in the gym around tables, and you're welcome to be a part of that. This morning, we're, I'm calling this uh, particular message Molded for His Mission. Molded for His Mission. And we're going to look at some incidents, particularly in the life of Peter, that I believe help us understand the third reality of experiencing God that we're going to study today. And that third reality, uh, I think you can see it on the screen. There it is. Reality number three, God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Now, we've already looked at number one. Uh, the first reality is that, in, uh, that God is always at work around you. And he has a mission in this world to redeem this world that is broken, has been damaged by sin. Each of us have been damaged by sin, and God is at work to redeem us from that brokenness, to set us free from that 
future punishment and judgment that we're all facing unless we have a Savior. And so he sends his son to rescue us. And he's at work to redeem people. And when you and I uh, understand that, then we realize that God is always active around us in the lives of every person that we know. And I don't need to go into my week or into my, my life wondering, does God know what's happening? Does God care about what's happening? He knows, and he not only knows, he's at work through those various circumstances and experiences. The second thing we looked at last week, God pursues us uh, for a love relationship that's real and practical. And so as God is at work, what is he doing? He's pursuing you, and he wants you to know him, and he wants you to know that he loves you, and he wants you to love him in return. And all that he does is grounded in that truth. There's nothing that happens to you or me that's outside of the love of God. God is love, and everything he asks you to do, everything he leads you to do, is, is, has his fingerprints all over it, and it is marked with love. So as we come to this third reality, what we realize is that God is not only at work in the world. He wants you and I to be a part of his work. That, that we're not just standing by watching what God is doing or just trying to get by in life or, or I'm over here and I've got my life and God has his life over here and he's busy doing things. No, God wants to move you and I into his work. And so it doesn't matter who you are, what's your background, what you think you're good at or not good at, doesn't matter. God wants to bring you into his work. That's pretty exciting. But it's also pretty Pretty, pretty awesome, and we're going to see that more and more as we go through the next couple of weeks. But today, I just want to deal with that reality, that God invites us to join him in his work. Now, before God does that, before God gives you what Henry Blackaby calls an assignment, before he gives you a mission, a very specific role to fulfill, he prepares you for that role. In fact, if I was going to put it the way that the, the Course puts it, he always matches your character for the assignment. And so before you have a particular assignment from God, he, in a sense, puts you through a school, through a period of preparation to get you ready for that moment where he invites you into his work. And, and as you know, that would be a lifelong process because you have more than one thing to do in life. He has several, many things for you to do. And, and each step along the way, each step that he calls you to take, you can know this, that God has prepared you, matched you and who you are for that particular assignment. Now, I don't know about you, but there are many times where, where I've believe that God is asking me, directing me to do something, inviting me to join him into his work. And I don't feel prepared. Have you ever felt that way? You mean God wants me to do what? And I don't feel prepared. I, I, don't, I don't think maybe that I know enough or that I'm, I have the stamina or, or the mindset. And fortunately, God leads us in steps because I think if we saw the full picture where he was taking us, we wouldn't be able to breathe. And so he leads us step by step by step. And I can know this, that when God calls you to take a step, he has prepared you 
for that step. I can't think of anyone better for us to look at this morning than the Apostle Peter. Because I identify with Peter. Peter had more to say than any other disciple. If you go through and count his words, he, he had a lot of them. He often was saying things that we would describe it as speaking without thinking. It made perfect sense to him. He had an inner guidance system that Jesus was always correcting. He had a set of assumptions and presuppositions about life and who God was and what God wanted him to do. And Jesus was always reeling him in and saying, no, Peter, it's not like that. It's like this. And so that process of preparing someone for their assignment, I think is vividly illustrated for us in the man called Peter. Now in Acts chapter 10, it was a passage we looked at a few weeks ago, where Peter is past his training, his three years of intensive training with the Lord Jesus. He has received the Holy Spirit, as did all the followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. He has moved past that incredible moment where he preaches and 3,000 people are saved. Uh, he, is, he has been used in ministry now for some time, and, and now he's up on a rooftop. I mean, he's been used to raise the dead, I mean, all kinds of stuff. He's on a rooftop, he's praying before lunchtime, and, and God puts him into a place where he essentially hears the voice of God and sees some things that God wants to show him. In fact, what he has is a vision. Of, a, of some animals coming down in some kind of sheet, and he hears this voice that says, rise up and eat. Well, these are the wrong kinds of animals. In the Jewish diet uh, plan in the Old Testament, you didn't eat those animals. They were unclean. They were called common and unclean. And he says, Lord, I can't eat this stuff. And he says, what, what God has called clean, don't you call common. And about that time, some guys show up from a man named Cornelius who is a Gentile. He is not a Jew. And they say that God has appeared to Cornelius through an angel and sent these men to get Peter to come and share the gospel with this Gentile Cornelius. Now, this is one of the first times that, that someone in leadership intentionally has been led to go share the gospel with someone who wasn't a Jew. And it was, it was a shocking thing for Peter. It was a challenging thing for Peter. But, but Peter knew that God was at work in Cornelius and that God had prepared him for that moment because of this vision he had and that God had spoken to him and that God was inviting him into this work of redeeming Cornelius and his whole household. Unmistakable. No question in Peter's mind. In fact, when he arrives at Cornelius' house, this is all I want you to see in Acts 10. In verse 28, the Bible says, Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God, look at this, God has shown me. God has shown me. I think I would circle that in my Bible. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. You see, God was teaching Peter things. Even after Pentecost, even after the Holy Spirit had filled his life, even after God had used him in remarkable ways, he was still in a school being prepared for each step along the way. 
And there's a school that God has you in. And there are at least three courses of instruction that every one of us is going through if we're seeking God at all. And, uh, and I'm going to give you three words, and you can use these to label these courses of instruction. The first one is the attention course. The attention course. We'll look at that in just a moment. The second one is the planning course. Or you could call it decision-making, but it's the planning course. And, and the third one is the, the timing course. Or you could call it the waiting course. Attention Planning, timing. I don't care who you are or how long you've known God. He's got you enrolled in these classes. And you can recognize what he's doing and cooperate, or you can resist. But one of the things that God wants to do is prepare you for each step that he has for you to take. And he's not going to give you a step to take that he hasn't prepared you for in advance. And so we want to look at these today. And, and Peter, like I said, uh, it's very obvious he's never graduated from these classes. But Lynn, don't, don't, get so, don't get smug because you haven't graduated either. So I want to, I want to call your attention first to Luke, Luke chapter 5. And I want to see how all this began in Peter's life. I want you to see where this began. I think it's in John chapter 1 where Andrew has been following John the Baptist. Jesus shows up one day and John the Baptist looks at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And so Andrew says, Boy, if this is the guy, if this is the Lamb of God, if this is the Messiah, I'm going to follow him. And so he goes up to him and they have this conversation and he winds up spending the day with Jesus. And then he is so excited about meeting Jesus that he runs and gets his brother Peter. And he brings Peter to meet Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. And I wish I could have seen this exchange. Nothing Peter says is recorded in, in John 1. But Jesus looks at him and says, You are Simon, son of Jonah. But you will be called Cephas. That's all Jesus said to him. Now, what's interesting is Simon in Hebrew means to listen or to hear something, to listen or to hear. Cephas, though, means rock. And Jesus looks at this man, first time he's met him, he looks at him, and I believe because the Holy Spirit was revealing it to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, your name is Simon, but you're going to be called Rock. Do you think Peter had any idea what Jesus was talking about? I don't. I don't think he had a clue. But Jesus did. He understood that this man, that God was going to take him to school and was going to do a work in his life, and he was going to be changed, and he was going to be like a rock. The next time, and there were several meetings, and, and, and the end result of that encounter Peter doesn't say anything. He doesn't start following Jesus. Some people look at that and they say, well, he began to follow Jesus then. No, he didn't. He had this conversation. We don't know if he said anything, but, but he doesn't follow him. The next thing that happens is that Jesus comes to his town where his mother-in-law is very, very ill and has a very high fever. This is in Luke 4. 
And Jesus comes into the house, and when they tell him the condition of Peter's mother-in-law, he goes upstairs or wherever she is, he goes to her, and he heals her. And the fever leaves her, and she gets up and begins serving. Peter knew this. And then later that evening, Peter knowing, uh, the the town knowing that Jesus was there and that he'd healed Peter's mother-in-law, the whole town, a bunch of people gather, the Bible says. And Jesus spends hours and hours healing people that night. Peter saw that. And, And he's casting demons out. And these people, these demons that are coming out of the people are saying, you are the Christ, You are the Son of God. And Peter heard that. So when we come to Luke chapter 5, this isn't the first time that Jesus and Peter have met. But Peter hasn't been following Jesus. He knows about him. They're acquainted with one another. But look at what happens next in verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And so Jesus and Simon are in this boat, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat, and Simon heard the teaching. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep. And let down your nets for a catch. Now that's all Jesus said to him. One step. One direction. One piece of counsel. Jesus said do this. And some of the most life changing things that he's done or he's going to do in your life are going to be like that. Where he prompts you, he brings to mind something that you feel you ought to do, someone you ought to see or call, someone you ought to go by and talk to, and, and you know it's from him, and you do this one thing. doesn't seem like a big thing, but you do it. And it can be one of the great turning points in your life. Look at what happens next. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Peter's tired, been up all night. That tells me right away that Jesus does not always come to me and do his work when it's convenient to me. He doesn't always come to me when I'm fresh. In fact, many times there are things that I know he wants me to do and I am far from fresh. Sometimes I'm very tired. And uh, and so he doesn't come necessarily when we're, we're ready to do something for God. He comes to us when we may not even be expecting it. Something else this tells me is that the time when Jesus meets with you and me is not necessarily only in this moment, although I believe God speaks to us in this moment. When I come and I prepare through the week, what I want to come to you with as your pastor is not something necessarily that I want to say, but something I believe that God wants to say. And so I believe that's very important. But look, what God was doing here in Peter's life was in the middle of his day. It was in his workplace. And so some of the most profound encounters you may have with God may not be in a worship service or in Sunday school. It may be in the course of your regular week. 
And I think we ought to look for that and be alert to that. Be alert to the possibility that God may speak to you tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning at school or in your workplace or at your house or wherever you are. And so, and so what happens next happens in the midst of Peter's work. He says, look, we've already done this, but he goes ahead and does it because Jesus asked him to do it in verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. What do you think Peter's, what's going through his mind at that moment? I would think something's up. That God is taking control of the situation, whereas I did my very best effort and I couldn't catch a thing, that this God is directing fish into my net. This is not something man is doing, this is something God is doing. And so the nets are about to break, and well, it gets worse. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. The nets are breaking. The boats are sinking. Oh, that God would give us those kinds of problems. I mean, we can complain about a lot of things, but when the nets are breaking and the boats are sinking, that's pretty good stuff. I think if I were Peter, I would have invited him into my partnership. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You mean after these casual interactions that they've had, And after this moment where the, the fish are jumping into the nets and to the boats, that that's what it took for Peter to fall on his knees, to repent, to turn his heart away from all the other stuff in his life and to turn his heart fully to the Lord. I can see now why he hadn't followed him before. Can you see that? Why didn't he follow Jesus before? Because he didn't feel worth, worthy. He didn't feel like he was good enough to follow Jesus. Uh, I'm too messed up. I don't have anything to offer a guy like that. And God is good and God is pure and God is righteous and God is holy and God is all these wonderful things and I am not and there's no way that I can possibly be useful to God. And suddenly all of that changed. Now why did he fall down on his knees? I'll tell you why. He realized who he was standing next to. He realized that this was God. And all throughout the scripture and throughout the history of the Christian church, when people realize that they're in the presence of God, that's what happens. They're not able to stand up. They go down. And their hearts turn. For he, and verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, I think that's so significant. The other guys heard it. The other guys were going to become disciples slash apostles. But he spoke these words to Simon in this moment. This is what he said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Do you think he had Peter's full attention? 
Do you think Peter had lost interest in everything else and had now had one consuming interest? And that was this man, Jesus, and what he was about and what he was teaching and what he was saying. His attention was fully withdrawn from everything else. In fact, it says in verse 11, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. You see, that's the school of attention. That's the class that we're all still in. Because you and I get distracted by so many other things that want to have our attention. And some things we want to give our attention to. Things that we enjoy, things that we find fun, things that we think are valuable, things that we find precious. We want to give ourselves to those things. They can be hobbies, they can be people, they can be all kinds of things. We want to give our attention to those things. You know what God wants? He wants all of your attention. All of it. What you give your attention to the most is what you love the most. It's what you're devoting yourself to the most. And you and I are so easily distracted. And so if you've been a Christian for one year or you've been a Christian for a hundred years, whatever the case may be, God is working to get your attention and he's preparing you, teaching you how important it is to give him your attention. I think that means that he wants us to walk with him. I think that he wants us, and he teaches this in Galatians, that he wants us to walk in his spirit, to be attentive to him at all times and all places and every conversation. Do, are we all doing that? Of course not, but that's what he wants to do. He wants to train us, teach us, so that more and more and more and more I am centered on God in my thinking and my life. That he has my attention, and the more attention I give to him, According to Scripture, it seems the more attention I experience from him. And so this class of attention is really important, and, and Peter got it. Uh, there's another, another class I want us to look at, and we'll find this at another incident in Peter's life in um, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. So J Peter's now in Jesus' school. And Jesus is teaching Peter about giving his full attention to Jesus. Well, he's following him every day. He's with him. He's hearing him teach. He's seeing him do things. And Jesus is constantly exposing Peter to new situations and teaching the disciples as a consequence of that. He took Peter in with him to, to Jairus' daughter who was dead. And Peter was there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He took Peter to the Mount of Transfiguration. It was there that Peter heard the voice of God. It was there that he saw something of the glory of Jesus. Jesus took Peter into that situation. It was Gethsemane where Jesus took Peter and a couple of other disciples deeper than any of the others. And they heard him pray and they heard him cry out to God. And so 